today's episode is very proudly brought to you by InReach Co., Australia's first solely regional, rural and remote allied health job platform. InReach Co. was created by allied health professionals for allied health professionals and is committed to connecting Australian communities with the allied healthcare workers they need. For a simple and interactive way to explore current regional and remote positions or for businesses wanting to explore job advertisement opportunities, head to www.inreachco.com.au. The links will also be in my show notes. G'day guys and welcome to Holly the OT podcast. My name is Holly and I am an occupational therapist looking to create a judgment-free zone for all OT students, new grads and early year therapists. Join me as I give my honest opinions on the highs and the lows and the ins and the outs of being an OT. Before I start today's episode, I would like to acknowledge you Wallarai people who are the traditional custodians of the land this episode was recorded. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Holly the OT Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today's episode is following on from last fortnight's episode. It is part two of what I have learned in my new grad year. Last episode was all about the sort of deep and meaningful stuff. This one is more just like my little tips and tricks, the little things I've learned that have sort of got me through this year. But before I get into that, I am going to dive straight into my highs and my lows for the last fortnight. My high was I've just been in Brisbane for the last four days and I did the SOS feeding course, which was absolutely incredible. If you're not familiar with the SOS feeding course, I actually did a poll on my Instagram and I was surprised um, on how many people didn't really know about it. I sort of thought it was quite a common course, but essentially it's the sensory desensitization of feeding, I guess. I'm not going to go super into detail of it because gosh, there was a lot of information. It was really, really, really interesting though. It was presented by a psychologist, a speech pathologist and an occupational therapist or from America. And they've been doing this for years and it was just so fascinating to hear all the research and everything behind the 35 steps to eating. Yes, you heard that right. There is 35 steps to eating, which is why so many of our little ones have so many challenges with eating. I'm actually doing SOS groups at the moment with the speech I work with. She's SOS trained, but now I've done the training as well. And it was nice to already come into it with that sort of like pre- knowledge about what it was all about. Fun fact about SOS feeding, on my first day of my first placement in my first year, so like my two-week observation placement all those years ago, I sat in on an SOS feeding group and I was like, oh yeah, this is what I want to do. At that point, I still had no idea I wanted to work in peds, had no interest in pediatrics. I was aged aged care till I die. Like I was all, all about the oldies and then sat in that feeding group and I was like, yep, this is, this is what I want to do. So really exciting to finally get that training done. I am now a fully fledged feeding therapist, which is really cool. And I also just want to add as well, like courses are really expensive. This course was $1,600. And then obviously I had to pay for my myself getting there. I, I ended up flying out from the Ridge uh, just because of the road closures and the floods that are still happening. And I got my car, I had to get four flights, a train to get to Newcastle. And then I got my car in Newcastle, was at my boyfriend's house, drove up to Brisbane and then drove Brisbane back to the Ridge. And then obviously I had to pay accommodation on the way. Why am I telling you this? Because the Rural Doctors Network, RDN, who I've harped on about many times, paid for the whole thing for me. 
being a rural therapist, doing so many hours in a rural setting, I qualified for the bursary scholarship, which anyone who does a set amount of hours working rurally can. And they pay for the whole thing, paid for my flights and accommodation as well. They paid, give me a bit of extra sort of leeway money for expenses that come up while you're away. And it's just an absolute incredible perk of working rurally. So if you're wanting to do all these courses and you've sort of maxed out what your employer is offering you, because obviously employers can't offer endless amounts of PD funding, 10 grand available to you working rurally, get amongst it. (laughs) Um, But it was, yeah, it was really, really great. And you meet so many cool people and you do courses and you get chatting, which leads me into my, my low for the week, which really isn't that big of a low, but it's just, it was a funny one. I was reflecting on it on my nine hour drive home. So we were sitting in like a circle, um, just doing a bit of a group discussion. And there was probably six, seven of us. And when you're at a course, when you're doing PD, everyone sort of gets chatting about courses and everyone talks about the courses they've done and, and what other courses are coming up. And it's, it's really great, you know, chatting about PD and what you've got to do to get your continuing professional development hours. Anyway, so someone was like, oh, how great is it that you can listen to podcasts and podcasts can count towards your PD hours? And everyone collectively was like, yeah, yeah, it's great. It's great. And then someone was like, yeah, it's just a really big shame there's not many Australian OT podcasts. And then everyone around the group collectively was like, yeah, same. Like, I wish there was more OT, Australian OT podcasts. Um, They sort of mentioned Brock Occupied. And that was sort of it that everyone was confidently sort of saying. And that was my moment when I tell you the heavens opened up and the the sun was shining on me to, that was my moment to promote myself. Do you think I did? No way. Now I've been having a conversation with these people for like 20 minutes. Like we were comfortable. Everyone was getting really like along really well. There's a bit of banter. Like it wasn't like I was just walking into a conversation with strangers and be like, Hey, listen to my podcast. It wasn't like that at all, but I just couldn't do it. The idea of like self-promoting myself, I could not do. And I think my podcast is awesome. Like I'm really proud of my podcast and I'm really proud of how it's growing, but it's been a really organic grow. Like I haven't really had to push it too much, which it makes me feel a little bit more comfortable, I guess. And yeah, I was really annoyed myself because I had the perfect opportunity to get a little bit of discussion out there about myself and and sort of talk about what I was doing and I just couldn't do it. I chickened out. So the podcast stays small for now. (laughs) We'll get there. I will get more confident with it. I don't really know why I just went so shy and just backed off completely, but it's okay. I'm learning and I just, you never want to be that person that's like big noting yourself in a group and be like, yeah, I'm doing this or I'm so wonderful. This is what I'm doing. But it was literally, it was the perfect opportunity. Anyway, that's enough about my little whinge. Uh, let's get into the episode. So last week's episode, last fortnight's episode, sorry, all about what I've learned as a new grad. It is new grad season. Everyone is graduating. Registrations are coming out. I just had to pay my APRA renewal. So that is how I know that it is time for everyone else to get their APRAs, which is so exciting. And it's a very daunting time as well. You know, I spoke about it last week, imposter syndrome sets in and all those doubts about yourself and whether you're going to be good or or what your job's going to be like and all that sort of stuff. Um, So if you haven't listened to last week's episode already, definitely go and do that. It was a good one, if I say so myself, Um, but it was more the big, deep, meaningful things. Today is just the little tips and tricks I picked up along the way and super, super simple. My first point is... 
if you are in a private practice, I think hospitals are like a little bit more strict on it and your notes have to be done by the end of the day. If you're in a private practice, do not leave your notes to the next day. There's sometimes there's nothing. You've had a busy afternoon of sessions. Sometimes you just really don't want to do it, but oh, tomorrow you will hate yourself. Do your notes. Even if you just do dot points to prompt yourself and you can fluff it out a little bit later, but do your notes. I discovered, and this is groundbreaking, revelating, revelational, revolutionary. God, I can't even speak. I've had two weeks of no recording and I can't speak. Revolutionary. This was revolutionary when I discovered voice to text. Now, my work uses Clinico, practice management software. So Clinico doesn't have an app on the phone. You have to use web-based, which I don't love. But I just downloaded an app called Otter. Um, O-T-T-A, I think it is. And I put my headphones in and if I'm packing up a session, like pediatric sessions, they get messy and you've got to pack them up. If I'm packing up a session, I'll put my headphones in, I'll press record and I will speak my note to myself. I will speak what I need to follow up. I will speak what I chatted to the parent about or the carer about or the teacher about, whatever it is. And then it emails to myself. So then when I get to sit down on my computer at the end of the day, if I've had a busy day, I've got my notes there and I just copy and paste them. Sometimes my pronunciation, if you haven't realized, is a little bit off and some of the words it it suggests to me that I said are definitely not what I said, but the crux of it is there and it saves so much time. If your practice management software has like an app, I'm sure you could do it directly into the thing. And same with computers. I know you can do like microphone control something to get like a microphone up. But yeah, this app is so simple. I might link it in the show notes uh, if anyone's interested, but you just search microphone app on Apple. If you're Android, I have no suggestion for you. Get Apple. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, that is so time-saving and life-changing. Absolutely life-changing. Also with your notes, you will get quicker at them. I remember when I first started doing notes and I've been doing notes for ages as an outlet health assistant, but it can be really annoying when it takes you a long time. You're like, oh, everyone else is so quick. You will get quicker. Do not expect that you're going to walk in in your first month and be able to blitz out a perfectly curated note with the perfect target audience. And like, it's it's something that takes time. Note taking is a skill and productive note taking is a skill. When you do your notes, think about your audience, think about who is reading the note and legally what you need to put in your note and that should determine how much you're putting in and what you're putting in and what level of effort you're putting in, la-di-da-di-da. But sum that up, voice to text. This is another one. um, This is sort of a PEDS focus, this one, just because I work in PEDS. So if you're not interested in PEDS, I'm sorry. But you need to find versatile games that you can sort of use across the board. If I go to the school, I sort of – have three kids I see at a time, like what three after the other, one, two, three, one after the other, three after the other, whatever. And you don't want to take your whole therapy kit with you. The school I go to is really good and they let me leave things there and they've got equipment for me. But if you're going for a school visit or if you're in a clinic and you've got back-to-backs, you don't want to have to reinvent the wheel for every session. And it's really, really easy once you sort of get the hang of it to find games and to find therapy activities that you can step up and step down depending on the child, the developmental age, the chronological age, what their goals are. It is, yeah, it's very time-saving and it just sort of is not as exhausting having to think of a brand new session, five new activities for each session. Like if you can be consistent with what you're doing that day, within reason, obviously, and if it's not relevant to the child, it's not relevant to the child, but you'd be surprised what you can come up with. And just on that note as well, like 
planning therapy sessions is fun and being creative is really fun and some of the things I've come up with over this last year and games and activities and therapy I've done with kids has been so epic and sometimes I'm like oh yeah that was a good one I I'm proud of myself for that one but don't get caught up in feeling like you need to have the most inventive session every single session sometimes less is more sometimes simple is best and sometimes repetition i.e. the same therapy games they've done the last three or four weeks is what they need Yes, you want to keep it fun and creative and exciting. You don't want the kids to get bored, but you also don't need to reinvent the wheel with every single session you do. You can still have equally as effective and goal-related therapy without having the most extravagant session planned. It is fun to plan extravagant sessions and it is fun to get creative and try something new, but it's not the be-all and end-all. Therapy is therapy and sometimes, especially while you're learning, it's best to keep it simple. Learn the fundamentals and then add to that. Now, just to take it back a little bit as well, when you first start working, you sort of want to go in all guns blazing and fix everything straight away and give families a million ideas. Try this, do that. Let's, you know, let's do this. And you're constantly checking in and being like, what, let's let's try something else. How's that working? Has that worked? Oh God, it didn't work. My eye didn't work. Let's think of another thing. You just, you need to chill. Okay. Obviously it's wonderful that you're enthusiastic and you want to give them as many things as possible to try and implement at home or to try and combat whatever difficulty the child or the family is having. But there's two points to it. One point is it's very overwhelming for families. I am very conscious as a young therapist who isn't a mother who isn't a father, who isn't a parent, that sometimes and the, some of the suggestions that I gave early on in my career in this, this year, my new grad year, were not practical. My families have all been really wonderful and have tried everything, but it's not practical. There's other kids at home. Parents work. People just don't have energy. And it's very easy to think, oh, but, you know, they need to help their child. They need to do this. They need to do all these things. They do, yeah, but they also need to live and be realistic. So just take a step back and think about what's going to work in the home for that family when you're giving suggestions on what they can do. And just think about really taking it slow and building that rapport first before you go and all guns blazing, do this, do this, do this. You will have more success if you take it slow and you do it one step at a time and make sure each thing is working first than if you give them 10 things to change at a time. The other part of that is if you give someone like five things to try, like if there's a kid with sensory issues and they're having meltdowns and you've given five different strategies, if it starts working or if it sort of stops working, I should say, and if things sort of go off track, you don't know which one of those strategies was effective and you don't know which one of those strategies you need to get rid of. If you're only doing one strategy at a time, then it helps you realize, does this work? Does this not work? Yes, you want to build the kid's toolbox and then we want to build the family's toolbox and you can add to that as you see fit, but you don't know what's working if there's a million things happening. So think about that. Think about you don't always need to do everything. Less is more. Less is more. That's the theme for this this episode. Another thing with working with families, I'm a very out there personality. I love having a laugh with my families. I love, you know, I really love to get to know the families and the siblings and everyone a part of the family. And I have a lot of fun when families come and I get along with all my families really great. But 
there are some times where the families are flat and there are some times where you, you don't get the same energy out that you put in from the families. And it can be exhausting and it can also be a bit of like a, a blimp to the radar if you're coming with all this energy and all this enthusiasm and it's not being reciprocated by the families. And we just have to remember that we're dealing with families in sometimes the hardest parts of their life. And generally with kids with disabilities that we that you will see if you're working in the pediatric space is they don't sleep well, they don't eat well, and home is really, really hard for families. Plus, if you're throwing in getting diagnoses and having to apply for funding and they're getting in trouble at school, like it's really exhausting for families physically and emotionally. It's very easy to take it personally when you're not getting that same enthusiasm back that you're putting in and it can be a little bit demotivating, but you just need to remember you are literally supporting these families through the toughest times. Sometimes you're not going to get happy smiles. Sometimes you will, sometimes you won't and that's okay. Don't take it personally. It's not a reflection of you as a therapist. It's just a reminder that there's more going on than your one-hour therapy session that week. And to take it back a notch, which sort of comes back to burnout that I touched on in the last episode in part one, but this is something I've only just mastered. I used to be on my emails all the time. I had my emails on my phone and I was pretty good at it. Like I, I wouldn't spend time on my emails, but I would check every now and then. Like if I was at the gym, I would check my emails. If I was out with my friends, I would just check my emails, make sure nothing had happened because I cared about the families. I wanted to make sure if something was sent through to me that I was being responsive. And if I got an email from a family or from a teacher or from whoever it was, I would reply straight away. I would do everything I could to to reply and give my best reply as soon as possible. And if I didn't get to them within like a couple of hours, I would apologize. I'd be like, I'm so sorry for my delay. Like I've been really busy, really sorry about that. Um, and I was, I was constantly apologizing for myself for no reason. Like I was going above and beyond by replying to them quickly. I wasn't under exceeding my expectations. So by apologizing for a delayed email response, which isn't really a delayed email response, you're opening the door for emails at all times of the night and the expectation that you're going to reply quickly, which obviously urgent things will come up and sometimes you do need to be on things quickly, but nothing's life or death. My first supervisor told me that. She said, no one's going to die if you don't do your job properly. And I had to, I have to remind myself that sometimes because like you just you can't get caught up in the urgency of things and people will say oh it's really really urgent hey can you do this can you do this it's not <laughs> 98 99 percent of the time it's really not urgent and it can wait it's not to say that you put things on the back burner and you forget about things obviously that's not what I'm saying but forgive yourself and switch off, have that time to switch off because otherwise it will catch up to you midway through the year and you'll be like, oh boy, I am burning out. (laughs) We don't want that at all. All right, that is my points for this episode. I think I'll probably keep thinking of more when I'm in random thought. I'll be like, oh, I should have added that, should have added that. So there might be a few parts of this what I've learned as a new grad and I might rehash some things and I am... Yeah, I'll keep touching on it. So that is all for today's episode. Now, before I wrap this up, I have to apologize to you guys. Not last episode, the episode before. I was very excited because I launched the stupidest ending segment of all podcast history with absolutely no relevance to being an OT podcast. And it was my fun facts, Holly's fun facts. And I actually had a few people message and they're like, that was hilarious. Keep doing them. 
And then I recorded last fortnight's episode in a in a really quick rush and I just completely forgot about it. I'm like, God, this is just adding fuel to the fire that I am the worst podcast person ever. And my lovely boyfriend, mechanic boyfriend, who has no interest in OT other than my podcast, and he listens to every episode, as I've said before, he listened to the last episode as soon as it came out and he messaged me. It was like 11.30 at night. He was on his way home from night shift. And he was like, oh my God, you didn't do a fun fact. I was like, oh no, (laughs) whatever will I do? And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you two fun facts because I just feel terrible that I missed out on one. So I've got two fun facts for you guys. First one, did you know in Switzerland, it's illegal to only have one guinea pig? Now you can have zero guinea pigs, but you can't have one guinea pig. If you have a guinea pig, you must have at least two because they get lonely. And I was like, that is so sweet. That was so sweet. And my second fun fact that I got off my www.funfact website is in 1834, ketchup, so like tomato sauce, was one of the most commonly used medicines. People use ketchup for like indigestion and like throat and chest related illnesses. And I would not have survived because I hate tomato sauce. We used tomato sauce in our feeding group last week and I hated it. I was like, this is disgusting. I can't let the children see me, but I'm not about tomato sauce. So 1834, I would have had indigestion for years because I would not have taken it. Anyway, they're my two fun facts. Hey, if you've got a fun fact, send me a message. I love reading fun facts. And again, I spent way too long just Googling those two fun facts because there's just so many out there. But that is all I have time for today. I am interviewing some people next week. I am starting my interviews. I've been talking about it for months and I'm going to interview people to be on the pod, but I'm starting it. I'm finally doing it. They will roll out by the end of the year and yeah, the pod is just going to keep on growing. So keep on sharing with your friends or sharing the episodes if you like them. And yeah, thank you so much for tuning in. Goodbye. Thank you.